You're listening to a Cyberwire podcast from N2K Networks, powered by Dragos. It's February 21st, 2024, and you're listening to Control Loop. In today's OT cybersecurity briefing, the Five Eyes publish a report on Volt Typhoon, while Volt Typhoon targets emergency management services in the U.S. Siemens and Schneider Electric issue patches. Our guest is Magpie Graham, Principal Adversary Hunter and Technical Director at Dragos, reviewing Dragos's just-released cybersecurity year-in-review report. The Learning Lab is taking a break, but we'll return on our next episode. The U.S. government and its Five Eyes partners continue their efforts to publicize the activities of the alleged Chinese state-sponsored threat actor Volt Typhoon, Earlier this month, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, NSA, FBI, and the Cybersecurity Directorates of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the U.K. published a joint advisory outlining the threat actor's operations against U.S. critical infrastructure. The advisory states, The U.S. authoring agencies have confirmed that Volt Typhoon has compromised the IT environments of multiple critical infrastructure organizations— primarily in communications, energy, transportation systems, and water and wastewater systems sectors, in the continental and non-continental United States and its territories, including Guam. The agencies observe, Volt Typhoon's choice of targets and pattern of behavior is not consistent with traditional cyber espionage or intelligence-gathering operations, and the U.S. authoring agencies assess with high confidence that Volt Typhoon actors are pre-positioning themselves on IT networks to enable lateral movement to OT assets to disrupt functions. The U.S. authoring agencies are concerned about the potential for these actors to use their network access for disruptive effects in the event of potential geopolitical tensions and or military conflicts. The U.S. agencies note that the threat actor has been maintaining access and footholds within some victim IT environments for at least five years. The advisory adds, The Canadian Center for Cybersecurity assesses that the direct threat to Canada's critical infrastructure from PRC state-sponsored actors is likely lower than that to U.S. infrastructure, but should U.S. infrastructure be disrupted, Canada would likely be affected as well due to cross-border integration. Australian and New Zealand critical infrastructure, respectively, could be vulnerable to similar activity from PRC state-sponsored actors. At the Munich Security Conference over the weekend, FBI Director Christopher Wray called out Volt Typhoon's targeting of U.S. critical infrastructure, saying such activity from China is the tip of the iceberg. According to the Wall Street Journal, Ray said China is increasingly inserting offensive weapons within our critical infrastructure poised to attack whenever Beijing decides the time is right. 
Dragos has published its own report on Volt Typhoon, tracked by Dragos as Voltize, noting that the threat actor has been targeting multiple U.S. electric companies since early 2023. The group has also focused on emergency management services, telecommunications, satellite services, and the defense industrial base, as well as electric transmission and distribution entities in African countries. As recently as January 2024, the threat actor compromised a large U.S. city's emergency services GIS network. Drago's CEO Robert M. Lee affirmed in a media briefing that Voltize is intentionally targeting critical infrastructure. Lee said, It's hitting the specific electric and satellite communication providers that would be important for disrupting major portions of the U.S. electric infrastructure. The report from Dragos explains, Voltize compromises external network perimeter applications and assets such as Soho routers and virtual private network gateways to gain access to targeted organizations' networks. Once within the victim's network, they leverage living-off-the-land techniques and stolen credentials to move through the network. The products targeted by Volt Typhoon include Fortinet FortiGuard, PRTG Network Monitor Appliances, Manage Engine AD Self-Service Plus, FatPipe Warp, Ivanti Connect Secure VPN, and Cisco ASA. Siemens last week published 15 advisories addressing 270 vulnerabilities affecting the company's products, Security Week reports. Many of the flaws affected Scalance XCM XRM 300 switches and the CNEC Industrial Network Management Solution. Most of the vulnerabilities have been assigned severity ratings of critical or high. Schneider Electric also released three advisories outlining five vulnerabilities affecting the company's Modicon controllers, eco-structure products, and Harmony Relay NFC. I recently got together with Magpie Graham, Principal Adversary Hunter and Technical Director at Dragos, to review the key findings of Dragos's Cybersecurity Year in Review report. So this is something that we've been doing for, uh, well, pretty much every year that Dragos has been around. Uh, it's a, an opportunity really to, to be able to kind of summarize what we've seen uh, over the, the last 12 months, bring additional context to maybe some of the blog posts that we've put out during that time and share other insights that have maybe been in our private reporting, but really is a, a great channel to be able to talk about the things we've seen through service engagements uh, and talk a little bit about maybe where we're going is, you know, OT security or cyber security, um, you know, in terms of maturity. It's it's not new OT, but security in OT, cyber security in particular, I think is something that's still um, very much a, a nascent uh, thing for many organizations. And this is a great way for us to be able to kind of reinforce the messages of what does need to be done, but also highlight success stories as well. Well, let's dig into some of the details here, because there is a lot to cover uh, one of the things that caught my eye was was this notion of of assessing your external infrastructure and the importance of that. Can can you flesh that out for us? Yeah, so I think one of the things where uh, we've seen a lot of change, it's 
partially due to the pandemic, but I think it comes from the the moving forward to kind of that digital transformation, which happened with OT and IT, you know, a long time ago, but continues today, particularly with more cloud connected devices, uh, vendors baking in that ability to to manage things more uh, remotely through their their own service offerings, but also the use of uh, the kind of IoT devices there, particularly for monitoring, but not necessarily exclusively one way in terms of their communications that provide that route into the OT environment. It used to be that you probably had to connect to your IT network and pivot through to manage uh, the OT assets, if that was even possible. Um, certainly with folk working from home during the pandemic, we saw a rise of more remote administration of, of those OT networks and many, in many cases, directly connecting to them. Now, Controlling infrastructure, I guess, the VPNs and firewalls that are there often badge differently, but usually the, the same types of device that we see in the uh, the enterprise IT world. And that's something where we saw a, a huge rise in the development of, of exploits for vulnerabilities in, in these devices, uh, and then the subsequent exploitation of those kind of en masse. So it does pose a, a larger risk to be able to um, directly get into that environment now more so than ever before. Uh, and so that's why really being able to kind of take those those uh, hard learned lessons from from the enterprise IT side, penetration testing, uh, good patching policy, you know, checking that those rules are really on the firewall, uh, deleting you know users that perhaps are no longer with the organization, um, and also just maintaining that separation, not necessarily from a, from a network perspective, but things like credentials. Do you have the same credentials being used in those two environments? Maybe that's something you can change. Additional layers of authentication that perhaps you know weren't uh, originally thought to be required when accessing the OT environment internally, but now that the external route is the the way forward, then that's something that you know maybe needs to be considered as well. Well, you mentioned uh, separation, and that uh, reminds me of segmentation. Uh, that's something that the report highlights as well. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that we you know stress quite frequently really is the the SANS five critical controls, and this is a great sort of way to to really take stock of of where you can make big impacts in the security of your network, and that does include things like secure remote access, as we've just discussed, but that whole notion of defensible architecture. Admittedly, a lot of OT environments have been around a long time. To change those is you know difficult and costly, but for any kind of new development or whether there is that opportunity to re-architect, thinking about uh, you know, different zones, the ability to have those kind of uh, different layers of security built into the different logical layers of where the devices are, uh, the, the notion of um, the zones and conduits to allow maybe access to only certain devices from certain areas of that network. They can all be you know, really, really useful uh, tools in terms of creating a more difficult environment for an adversary to operate in. Uh, and alongside that, I think you know the the monitoring piece is probably the the piece that we're best known for, but also the piece that is just uh, not not as developed in in OT cybersecurity as it needs to be. I think we um, we estimate less than five percent of OT networks are actually monitored globally. You could never imagine that that would be the statistics for an enterprise IT network. That you know five percent is is the only uh, number of or the only proportion that would have any form of you know monitoring appliances within it. So I think that's something that really needs to change. What's the the, the fundamental challenge that the operators are facing here? I mean, is this a, is the classic thing of resources, of money and time? Uh, as you say, you know, it's not easy. If, if 
some of these uh, networks and, and bits of infrastructure have been around for a long time. I guess that's a, an element as well. That's definitely an element, I think. I mean, it, at, a, at a larger kind of organizational scale, I, I do think that OT security tends to be the, you know, the, the lesser funded and, and lesser acknowledged kind of cousin of that enterprise IT uh, security, particularly in terms of budget, but in terms of the size of teams and investment of resources uh, and visibility as well up to the, the sort of sea level and, and board, really. Um, I think that has changed. There's definitely been some uh, increases in visibility. I think we said uh, <clears throat> 350% increase um, at the board and executive level in terms of that um, kind of the acknowledgement that testing and strengthening the, the OT security is, uh, is you know, required for an organization. Um, but that's, you know, a, a triple, uh, so you've seen a, a kind of a, a triple increase in the number of organizations conducting those tabletop exercises that allow you to walk through what happens if, you know, this adversary got into our network and play through that story of how far they might be able to go from maybe the IT network into the OT network. Um, and then I, I guess it's essentially, you know, it's like conducting a, a red team really using the the real world kind of knowledge of how actors uh, would operate where they might escalate their real capabilities. But rather than doing this as a red team, this is a tabletop exercise. And I think that's actually where you can get more engagement from more senior management and, and the executive level. Um, then, then actually, you know, showing them the report of, of such a red teaming exercise. One of the things that your report highlights is uh, the importance of, of monitoring outbound communications. C can you uh, go through that for us? What are some of the details here? I think uh, one of the things that always surprises me, even though <laughs> I've been at Dragos for sort of two years now, is the mm. fact that the, there are external connections from the ICS environment. Uh, most people that seem to, you know, have worked in that area for a long time. And I'm not necessarily talking, you know, uh, OT, cybersecurity, that those professionals are still quite, you know, few in number. But I'm talking about the folk who are operating those devices day to day, responsible for the, you know, the the configuration and the, um, the correct running of those systems. Uh, there is a, I think, a, a misconception um, that there is uh, air gaps or better segregation than there is, and that there isn't those abilities uh, or opportunities for external communications to leave that environment. And that's not really true. We still see um, uh, not just the the ability for for um, you know, PLCs and historians and all manner of ICS equipment to be able to talk out to the internet. Uh, generally, not even just via you know a channel to maybe the um, the vendor that that, uh, that created the device, but in about twenty percent of those engagements that we've had, uh, we actually see directly externally facing. Uh, ICS equipment. So that's the HMI is directly addressable on the internet. And this is something that I think we've seen, you know, is a is kind of low-hanging fruit when you think about it from an attacker's perspective, particularly um, with kind of hacktivist activity. We've seen more, most recently, I guess, the uh, Cyber Avengers uh, compromising a, a number of devices um, you know, in support of uh, of obviously a uh, cause that uh, that they stand behind, but I think the impact was obviously far outside the the, the Middle East in terms of uh, the regions that were targeted. And this does, in some ways, you know, uh, link to I guess where those devices are in the world. But particularly, um, I think uh, you know the, the ability to scan for a common host that you have a, a working exploit against or some vulnerability that you know you can exploit, uh, even if it is. You know, a baked in uh, password this has a huge impact when it comes to being able to push that message to be able to show that 
that maybe not everything is safe as as you might uh, as you might think. Um, so in this case, it was the Unitronics Vision PLCs, but our investigation showed that other you know um, Unistream series PLCs were vulnerable as well. And that's not just that you know one particular vendor. I think this is this is something that is is occasionally discovered, um, but is more and more on the focus of that kind of research that threat actors are doing. Um, and I think it's just something where actually um, it can have that global impact. It can hit the news cycle. And particularly in the terms of, uh, or in the, I guess, the support of, of hacktivism, when there's a, a more of a, a message and ideology perhaps to push, this is a great way to be able to do it, as we you know probably saw with website defacements in, mm. in the kind of, uh, in the, the 90s and, and early 2000s. I think this is now, uh, you feel like Perhaps they're able to strike at something a little bit more sensitive. Uh, and here, you know, we didn't see them necessarily go for a disruptive attack or a destructive attack. But we would regard that as stage two. Nevertheless, they're in the OT environment. They have the capability to operate there. Um, so I think this is one of the cases where if you're doing conducting that kind of external testing, you might be able to find those weaknesses. But it is also thinking about Know, the, the the placement of those devices sometimes it's uh, it, it's better in terms of I guess usability particularly with remote connectivity and a lot of sites you know don't necessarily have human staff working there it, it might be that someone visits every six months or 12 months but that's where you need to focus your efforts in terms of doing that additional monitoring that additional kind of locking down of those assets because they could be the the weak link in the chain yeah I mean it's really an interesting point you bring up here I mean I think it's the you know, it's those uh, sophisticated state actors, and I and I guess I use air quotes around that. You know, they they tend to gather all the attention and certainly the headlines, but you can't underestimate, as you say, the ability or the threat, I suppose, of the hacktivists as well. Yeah, I think um, my background, you know, I, I've worked tracking sort of nation state actors for for eighteen years now, and that was definitely where I thought the you know the interest layer but i don't think it's necessarily where the threat layers or the 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 highest proportion of i guess the likelihood and potential impact when we talk about some of the the nation back groups and we've seen obviously examples of this during the um uh, the ukraine and russia war we see an electrum conducting operations there to be able to you know, disrupt uh, electricity within ukraine and i'm sure that you know their ambition is to go further afield than that but when we see the, I guess, the, the large scale efforts of groups that don't have this kind of huge amount of funding, they haven't spent uh, many, you know, months, years researching, but they're, they're opportunistic in their attacks or they assure that they're capable, even if it is that low hanging fruit. I think sometimes that is, you know, um, going to rock the, the community a little bit more. Um, Ransomware, though, is probably uh, by far the you know the greatest threat. Not necessarily mm. because they have the capabilities against the most devices, or that they would orchestrate an attack that was uh, destructive in nature. But it's more so that they realise that there is additional money to be made through extortion. Extortion of OT assets could be actually something where there's um, you know more reason for an organisation to to pay a ransom than there would be for an IT. Uh, and and present network, which to be honest, the restore of which is is kind of the easy bit. It's more about data loss and, and prevention of that being um, entering the public domain, I think is where people do tend to feel like they need to, to slump up the cash. But for me, these are actors that 
have the ability and the drive, maybe, you know, mostly financially uh, motivated here, but they, they don't have the sign-off to conduct these operations. There isn't that chain of command that ensures that that's the right thing to do for a larger goal. This is something where it could easily happen by accident as they explore these other environments that they don't quite understand with devices they're not used to. They don't necessarily know what uh, what the result uh, of their actions might be. And I think we're more likely to see um, a destructive attack, either intentionally or unintentionally, from a ransomware actor exploring this OT environment that they've found themselves in, than we are to see something which is outside of a, a wartime scenario, uh, an attack from a nation-backed group. For the, the folks out there who, who are working day-to-day, you know, those practitioners who are tasked with protecting the organization and also getting the support from from their leadership. Uh, What are the take-homes from this report? What what are the the tips and words of wisdom for them? Well, we chatted a little bit there about ransomware, and I think uh, although this can feel like a a problem that plagues networks uh, day in, day out, um, in terms of the focus on industrial organizations and and those that have the potential to impact OT networks, uh, we did see that a quarter of those attacks all came from Lockbit. So in terms of kind of uh, putting the the focus into particular areas, I would say if you can protect your network from the TTPs of the Lockbit group, then you've already reduced the the potential for, uh, you know, that attack to affect your OT network considerably. Then looking at the kind of next levels down, we've got um, Black Cat or Alpha V and and Black Buster, each accounting for a 9% themselves. So those top three groups already mean that you, you know, you're fairly well protected uh, from ransomware attacks if you can just, you know, essentially run through those TDPs, use the MITRE attack framework, ensure that you have safeguards in place for the way that they might operate. One other thing um, that I think really is, you know, is something that we don't necessarily see very often in the more IT-centric threat intelligence reporting, but it's certainly something that uh, Dragos has, you know, really strives to to try and, I guess, correct um, and, and put out there with our customers is the uh, the notion of, of vulnerabilities and what you can do in terms of patching and how you can prioritize that uh, patching or mitigation. So. Um, the statistics are all there in the year in review, but I think we're, we're seeing you know, a continued trend that the bulletins that are released by vendors are, are full of incorrect information. So this tends to be the prioritization uh, methodology. Is this a you know, high severity or is it low severity? We often find that those are completely wrong. We do find that there's um, missing versions that are also vulnerable to something. And this is something where we break down every bulletin that comes out as well as doing our own research to, to find these vulnerabilities, but also release the information that says, well, this is maybe how you can mitigate if patching is something that you just can't do, which is very much the case for OT networks, You know, not necessarily so... Uh, so difficult in a in an IT network, um, but I think um, when you look at the the prioritization process as well, we have a now, next, never methodology, and only three percent of those vulnerabilities in the in the last twelve months would we say that you need to, you know, you need to put a mitigation or a patch in place right now. Those are the ones that are likely being exploited in the wild, or they're so severe that the loss of um, visibility or the loss of control you know, could have serious effects that could lead to um, you know, dangerous conditions within a plant. 68% of those, they can wait until your next uh, patch cycle. When you take that kit 
out of circulation and you're doing the other maintenance on it, that's the time when it would be reasonable to make those changes, whether it's a patch or another form of mitigation. But almost a third, they're probably never going to be exploited. They're so deep within the environment that it would be very difficult for an adversary to, to, to actually use them in a real world context. Or they pose no threat at all. Yes, it's a vulnerability, but to exploit it doesn't buy that threat or anything. Uh, and I think that's something really where you can help sort through what might seem an insurmountable problem by having a way to prioritize exactly where you put your resources and your time, because it's not a trivial process to go and apply these uh, changes to an OT environment. So this is a real great way of, of, of uh, making you feel like you can you know, tick some boxes and, and feel like you've made a real impact in the security of your network. Before I let you go, is there some good news coming out of this report as well? So I touched uh, briefly on um, the kind of increase in visibility at the board level, and, and I think tabletop exercises have, have really helped in that way. Um, but what we are doing is, uh, is uh, I guess, or what we have seen is we've seen the kind of uh, increase in authentication on some of these devices and protocols that exist within the network. Um, that's one of the things where, I guess, folks talk about encryption, but, you know, encryption can hamper monitoring, whereas authentication is really about being able to prove that who you say you are and the, the, the commands and the controls that are configurations being applied downstream are coming from a trustworthy source. And so to see that, it's, that really makes it a little bit more difficult for an attacker to be able to achieve those modifications through you know, simple changes uh, to a configuration that might be higher upstream but have a, a downstream impact. We're also seeing a lot more collaboration between uh, so the government governments of the world, vendors, uh, and the, the InfoSec community as well. A great example of that would be um, the Rockwell Automation Control Logics vulnerabilities that uh, US government um, discovered, found that they were uh, in the possession of an APT actor, and then basically reached out to Rockwell had Dragos involved, and together, you know, we worked to see what could be done in terms of de detecting these in those OT environments to be able to um, produce guidance and, and mitigation as well. But one of the the real, I guess, um, you know, key winning pieces here was was it something that we had actually got to before it was operationalized, or was it simply that visibility gap that's a problem? Now, five percent. Or, or less monitored networks, you can never say with you know 100% certainty that that's not in use. But uh, one of the things that uh, that we have uh, here at Dragos, uh, it's called Neighborhood Keeper, and it's an opt-in ability for you to entirely anonymously share the telemetry that comes from uh, the Dragos platform in your networks, and that lets any participant you know get a. a quite a coarse-grained idea about what's going on based on industry and, and geography. But partners that we have can also um, use that proactively to hunt for things that might be, you know, at the moment a little bit sensitive, but they want to be able to produce some guidance on it. Do we already know if it's being used in the wild? Do we know um, if this would affect, you know, 90% of, of OT networks in a region or 5%? Which types of industry sector are they in? And you can target your kind of um, your uh, your messaging to have the maximum impact in those areas. So that was a great way of kind of I guess bringing together the folks who had made the finds, the folks who controlled the ability to you know patch those vulnerabilities, and then Dragos and, and other folks in the in uh, the infosec community to be able to kind of amplify that and and 
perform those checks. Um, but I think, yeah, if we continue to see that form of community collaboration, um, then you know we're only going to get stronger as a as a collective defensive uh, team. Our thanks to Magpie Graham from Dragos for joining us. You can find a link to the Dragos Cybersecurity Year in Review report in the show notes. And that's Control Loop, brought to you by the Cyberwire and powered by Dragos. For links to all of today's stories, check out our show notes at thecyberwire.com. Sound design for this show is done by Elliot Peltzman, with mixing by Trey Hester. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our Dragos producers are Joanne Roche, Mark Urban, and Montserrat Thomason. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Next time.